You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Let's turn to our Bibles now. We're going to be in our Palm Sunday reading in the Gospel of John. And Nicole is going to read this text for us. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard what he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Thanks, Nicole, for reading. Well, our table question today was in honor of our guest worship leaders, Dan and Sandy from Heart of the City. By the way, they did bring along some of their music, which is for purchase over there by our connections table, so you can check that out after worship. But I thought it would be fun to ask the table question, what is the heart of the city where you grew up? And also recognizing that city would be a little generous for some of the places where some of us grew up. And so town is an option as well. And I thought it would be fun to quiz you just a little bit on how well you know the cities and towns of Minnesota by some of their landmarks. Of course, the big ones are easy. And so if I said cherry on a spoon, you would know that the city is... Minneapolis, and if I said Summit Avenue or Excel Energy Center, you would know the city is St. Paul. But how about if we travel out a ways? My guess is that you can identify these cities as well. What if I said Canal Park, Duluth? And how about Munsinger Gardens? Very good, St. Cloud. How about a little trickier now? The Spam Museum, Austin, Minnesota. Very good. And we're going to stay with more rural Minnesota. They're going to get harder now. How about Herman the German? New Ulm, yes. It actually has a classier name than that. It's called Herman Heights Monument, but that's not as fun to say as Herman the German. All right, another one. We'll stay with famous statues. What city is marked by Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox? Bemidji, yes. There's only one that I know of, and I think it's in Bemidji. Very good. And then there's, of course, our fish statues, our fish monuments. What town has Wally the Walleye? Garrison, not to be confused with Willie the Walleye, which is in what city way up north? Starts with a B. Baudette, there it is. And on the way, I suppose you could drive by Billy the Bluegill, which is in the little town of... Or, O-R-R, population under 300 in Or. But we also want to recognize our special guest, Helen from Ethiopia. 
And so in Addis Ababa, you would not find a fish statue. That may surprise you. But you would find the Lion of Judah. Isn't that right? Or perhaps the heart of the city would be Mescal Square or the Mercato. Or there's very stately buildings like Holy Trinity Cathedral where next week they'll celebrate Palm Sunday in Ethiopia or the National Museum. It is a wonderful, vibrant city. But let's go real close to home now. We have our city right here, this little city of Elk River. And what would you say is at the heart of Elk River? I like hockey, so I'm a bit partial to the hanky pit. It's probably the direction I would go. But in any case, it would certainly be down in that area of downtown or along the Mississippi. And it's been a tough stretch for our little downtown the past couple of weeks. Kemper Drug closed suddenly after 70-some years in business. And then it was actually, I think, in the last week that the old Elk River Meats building was finally bulldozed and leveled to the ground. And those are sobering moments for a little city like Elk River when you lose some of your landmarks. But on the other hand, in the big picture, landmarks are just things that come and go. The heart of a city is really its people. And on Palm Sunday, we remember that Jesus rode into Jerusalem not to save a landmark or even the temple, but he rode in to save people. The season of Lent culminates these next few days in what we call Holy Week. This marks the last week of Jesus' life before he would suffer and die on a cross, which we'll mark together on Good Friday. It's a week that we set aside to remember he did that for me. And for Holy Week this year, we're going to focus on John's Gospel. Today, when we come back Friday night at 7 and on Easter Sunday, all of our readings are going to come from John. And we did this during the season of Lent. And after Easter, we're going to spend seven weeks in a series called That You May Believe, which will take us through the seven signs of John. On our leadership retreat a couple weeks ago, I was serving on one of the cooking teams and I was sautéing vegetables, which was a new skill for me. So I checked in with, uh, Katie was on my team, and Ella, and I think we were getting breakfast ready. And so I checked in with Katie, and I said, are they done yet? And the first time I asked, she made it very clear I was asking way too early. Like they were just getting warm in the pan. She said to me, they've got a ways to go, like at least five more minutes. And so I recognize that we're quick to move on, and yet it's good for us to sit a while in one of the Gospels, and that's what we're doing this year in the Gospel of John. So each of the Gospels, all four of them, reports this Palm Sunday story, the triumphal entry, and each one draws out different nuances from the event. And so what we're going to do today is walk through this, as John tells it, and in the end, land on this ironic complaint of Jesus' opponents, which is a special feature of John. But whatever gospel it happens to be each year, I find I I need to go back to this story and hear about the day that Jesus was welcomed as king, but the people were not ready for his kind of kingdom. So let's begin in verse 12. This verse sets the scene. It says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus 
was on his way to Jerusalem. The great crowd that John describes is this huge influx of people that would have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And that's the festival that's mentioned. When Minneapolis hosted the Super Bowl, which was in 2018, there were more than a million people who arrived in our city for that event. There were so many people who traveled here that the largest single day ever recorded at MSP was the day after the Super Bowl. It has a name, too. It's called Get Out Monday. And on that day at MSP, there were over 60,000 people and 35,000 suitcases that went through security. Passover for the Jewish people was that kind of event. Josephus was a Jewish historian in the first century, and he recorded crowds of over two million people that would come to Jerusalem for Passover. It was the biggest event on the annual calendar. It was their celebration to remember how God had saved his people out of slavery in Egypt, which had happened under Moses. It was the biggest event in their history, and they would celebrate each year by whoever could, they would travel to Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples are among the travelers. And they've arrived after Jesus' miracle in Bethany, a city just two, three miles away, where he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's in John 11. And the word starts to get ahead to Jerusalem that this famous healer and miracle worker, Jesus, is coming to the city. So people are running out of the city. They're running to meet Jesus as he's coming toward the city in this spontaneous parade that is welcoming him. And so we read in verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the King of Israel. There's a lot packed into that little verse starting with palm branches. Date palms, and our Israel pilgrims from this past year might remember, it's a common tree around Jerusalem, and waving their branches The palm branches was a symbolic act that goes back to the Old Testament. Leviticus 23 describes the Feast of Tabernacles during which people were to wave palm branches as they celebrated. And by the time you get to about 200 years before Christ, palm waving had sort of taken on a more broadly symbolic meaning as a national symbol. And people would wave palms to celebrate victory over an enemy, or to welcome a new king. And so we have stories from the time between the Old and New Testament where the Jewish Maccabees would celebrate with waving palm branches. And then once the Romans finally squashed that rebellion, then they put palm branches on their Roman coins for the region to kind of rub salt in the wound. So everybody knew what palm branches meant. And you can see that in the words that they're shouting. Hosanna is the first line. Here it is in Greek on the screen, and then the pronunciation underneath it. But it actually is a Hebrew phrase that was just transliterated into Greek. So the Hebrew was hoshiana, and it means, as Katie shared with the kids, save us now. Save us, please. Now at my house, I just note there's a big difference between saying now and saying please. The one is good manners, and the other one will get you in trouble. But in Hebrew, nuance is a little bit differently. 
Either way, that's the literal meaning of Hosanna. But it had morphed into this general term of praise. Maybe like nowadays you might hear the expression, let's go. Let's go. And when someone says that, you don't ask them where we're going. It's an expression, an acclamation. And every Jew at that first Palm Sunday would have known, let's go, Hosanna, as this key Bible verse because they sang it on their way to Jerusalem. It comes from Psalm 118. And it's the final psalm in a group called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel means praise. And they would sing these psalms on their way to Passover. So by the way, if, if you want a little Bible reading assignment for this week, you could take one a day and it would take you almost to Easter. Psalm 113 to 118, the Hallel Psalms. And it's Psalm 118, the last one, where it says this, starting in verse 25. Lord, save us. And if you were reading in Greek, you would read Yahweh Hoshiana. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Which as you read it, it, it sounds like Palm Sunday, doesn't it? And one of the things that Jewish writers taught leading up to the time of Jesus is that these verses were indeed messianic. They're pointing toward the Messiah, this promised Savior. And so you put all this together, what we see in the text, and you can see that the people are intentionally, very consciously hailing Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior. And they are welcoming the Davidic king to town. And they're 100% right in their assessment on that, and yet they are 100% wrong in their expectations of this king and his kingdom. They think that Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem to fight the Romans and take back the crown. They have in mind an earthly kingdom, but they do not understand the kingdom of heaven or what Jesus has actually come to do. And as I read, I wondered if the next verse kind of quieted them down a bit. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I want to ask you, what kind of car you think that a king would drive? I've enjoyed, was there a snide remark at that table? Yeah. <laughs> I've enjoyed watching uh, Alex Ovechkin chase the all-time scoring record in the NHL, chasing Gretzky. So he passed Gordie Howe not too long ago this season, and he just has Gretzky left. So Ovechkin is extremely successful, and something that he knows how to appreciate is an expensive car. And he's famous for his collection of cars. Nobody knows the true size of his fleet. But for sure we know he has the following vehicles in his garage. A Mercedes-Benz G65, 280000 A Mercedes-Benz SL65, 300000 Just the, the letters at the end change. A Mercedes-Benz, apparently he likes Mercedes. This is the third one. Mercedes-Benz S-Class V12S. 300,000. 
a BMW M6, 215000 And then there's the cheapest on the list. This is his beater. You know, he's got to run for groceries. A Porsche Cayenne GTS, just 110000 And I want to read you one of the accolades about an Ovechkin of his time, King Solomon, the most successful king in Israel's history. Listen to this, 1 Kings 4.26. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. Jesus borrowed a donkey. A donkey is what a king rode only when he came in peace, not for war. If Jesus was coming to fight the Romans, then he picked the wrong ride. The people would have expected a war horse, but Jesus came on a donkey. And he does this in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's Zechariah, which is quoted, that foretold a king who would come seated on a donkey. And that's exactly what Jesus did, squelching everyone's expectations for an armed rebellion. And I think, doesn't tell us, but I wonder if it perhaps quieted the crowd a little bit. And they were wondering, who is this King Jesus? And what has he actually come to do? And you see this confusion in this wrestling in the very next verse, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. It could be that there are some of us here today who have heard about Jesus. The name isn't new to us, and yet we do not understand We have some sense of this historical figure, some experience of church, some notion of Christianity, but we have not understood Jesus because we haven't come to know him yet. I know a few things about Alex Ovechkin, but I do not know him. And there's a big difference. The question for you and I, before we go down this familiar road this week to Easter, is if you truly know Jesus. To know him as if you belong to his family. As if you were seated across the kitchen table from him. Because Jesus did not come to be a historical figure or to start a religion. He came to know you and to love you and to save you. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. It says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And we'll get to that Lazarus story, by the way, after Easter in that series. Verse 18, Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So you have the crowds who are following behind from Bethany, where Lazarus was, and you have the crowds in front of him who are coming from Jerusalem out to meet him. And these verses capture the effectiveness of how the Bethany crowd, it says, quote, spread the word. The word that's used there is martureo, the verb martureo, from which we get the word martyr. Those who bear witness, 
They share the news. They spread the word. The past couple weeks up in Studio B on Wednesday nights with high school ministry, we have studied evangelism one week and missions the next. And one of the Y Church's stated values is this simple line, we share the good news of forgiveness and life in Christ. In other words, we share the gospel. It's written right into our constitution. A church that does not spread the word about Jesus is not really a church at all. It'd be like a car dealership that doesn't actually have any cars or a restaurant with no food or a baseball team that actually does not own a single baseball. Spreading the word is what we do. Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We've got a mission, a lifelong project, or until Jesus comes again, and that is to spread the word. An editorial in the Washington Post that I was just reading yesterday was titled, America's Teens Are in Crisis. And this article did not mince words. Here's in the opening paragraph what it observed. The pandemic supercharged trend lines that have grown worse as America's social fabric has been pulled at the seams and social media has grown ubiquitous. So you hear some of those key words? Social fabric is down. Social media is up. And the results are devastating. It quotes a national survey that was just completed that shows 42% of high school students report persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, and 22% say they seriously considered attempting suicide in 2021. We don't have time to go into the further findings of the article. If we had more time, it'd be worth it. But listen to this conclusion At the end of the article, it says, Do TikTok, fentanyl, and other opioids deserve a share of the blame? Certainly. But there's also a toxic sludge of selfishness and entitlement that is corrosive to the culture. Intolerance, polarization, and the demonization of the other fuel disunity in civic life. A study this week showed Americans, driven by young adults under 30, placed declining value, listen to this, they placed declining value on patriotism, child-rearing, and community involvement. The kids are not all right. End quote. Declining patriotism, child-rearing, and community involvement. Those are foundational for a society to flourish. And this is the Washington Post, so we're not surprised to find that there is something even more foundational that is never mentioned in the article that is also declining in our country, and that is a relationship with the one who came to save us. A personal knowledge of Jesus Christ for me as as a teenager in this country growing up. A personal knowledge of Jesus Christ who is the author of my life, the lifter of my head, and the one who redeems my life from the pit. We have to spread the word. 
But 2,000 years ago, the Pharisees were not convinced. We read this final verse. So the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And you can hear the exaggeration in their words. You can hear the hyperbole. But what is not as evident is John's irony. You see, the world, the world is one of his favorite terms to use. And we could trace it through John's gospel from chapter 1 on. For time's sake, I just want to bring us to chapter 3, where I bet a number of us might know this verse, John 3.16, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Fewer of us are familiar with the next verse. John 3.17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Pharisees are fed up with the world, but the Bible says God so loved the world that he came to save it. You might say he came to Hosanna. He came to Hoshiana, the world, through Jesus. That's why he came. That's why there's Palm Sunday. He came to save us. My friends, my prayer for you is that you will welcome this King. That you will welcome Jesus into your life in new and revolutionary ways. He is not here as the founder of a religion. He is not here to overthrow a government. But he is here to capture your heart and to set you free in ways that you never even dreamed were possible. And if there is a landmark at the center of your heart, then may it be a simple Roman cross that stakes out the ground in your life that he claimed when you heard him calling your name. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise and thank you that you are a God of hosannas who is worthy of all of our praise and has answered our call for salvation. Lord, there's many days when we feel like we are stuck down here in miry clay. We're up to our neck in it, Lord. And we look out at the landscape of our city and our nation and the world and we cry out to you again for rescue. We thank you, Lord, that though we could never close the gap that was created by sin, that you came into the world out of your great love for us. And you rode in on a donkey of peace to give your life on the cross. We pray, Lord, that this truth and what it means to know you and walk with you would shape the rest of our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.